0: Approximately 0.5% of all births occur before the third trimester of pregnancy, and these very early deliveries result in the majority of neonatal deaths and more than 40% of infant deaths. Those infants born prior to 26 weeks gestation and at less than 1,000 grams are at the threshold of viability. They pose many difficult questions and decisions that must be made by providers and parents, and this encompasses a variety of complex medical, social, and ethical issues. You are listening to ReachMD, and I am your host, Dr. Patrice Basanta-Henry. Joining me today is Dr. Fiyama Wenner. Dr. Wenner is a maternal fetal medicine specialist with Atlanta Maternal Fetal Medicine, a division of the Mednax National Medical Group. Today, we will be discussing perinatal outcomes at the threshold of viability. Dr. Wenner, welcome to ReachMD. Hi,
1: good morning, Dr. Henry. Thank you for having me.
0: Let's start out with the basics. How do we define the periviable period?
1: So, there was a recent executive summary of proceedings from a joint workshop that included the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development, the Perinatal Pediatrics of the American Academy of Pediatrics, and the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology that convened and defined perinatal birth as a delivery that occurs between 20 and 0 days to 25 and 6 days weeks of gestation.
0: So what kind of outcomes are we looking at for infants born during that periviable period?
1: We've made great advances in the field of neonatal medicine. However, it does remain true that these infants that are born before 23 weeks gestation typically have a higher risk of neonatal death irrespective of the resuscitation that is performed. For patients born less than 23 weeks gestation, they have a 5 to 6% survival, and among those very very rare survivors, unfortunately they have a 98 to 100% level of morbidity. So there was a study that was released by the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development in 2010 that reported on the morbidity and mortality of infants born between 22 and 25 weeks gestation. These infants that are born less than 22 weeks, unfortunately, have a very significant risk of morbidity approaching 100%. The risk of infants that are born at 23 weeks have a 26% survival and 8% survive intact with no chronic morbidity. For patients born at 24 weeks, they have a 55% survival and 9% are born with no chronic morbidity. For infants born at 25 weeks gestation, they have a 72% survival and 20% are born with no chronic morbidity. The gestational age range that 22 to 25 weeks these fetuses are in an extremely rapid stage of development of their organ systems that are necessary for that extra uterine survival, which is why they are the more fragile of the preterm births. Each additional date that these babies remain in utero not only increases their risk of survival, but their chance for healthy long-term outcomes. Active brain development normally occurs in the second to third trimester, which makes these children especially susceptible to that hypoxic brain injury that we commonly see, and sepsis, which can then increase their likelihood of intracranial hemorrhages, periventricular leukomalacia, and neurodevelopment impairment.
0: So what factors should be taken into consideration when counseling patients regarded predicted survival, short-term, and long-term outcomes?
1: So, there are many factors that must be taken into account, and the patients have to be seen as individuals. Unfortunately, no one meets a standard criteria, but factors that we look out for. First of all, we have to rely on ultrasounds to establish the gestational age and the fetal weight for these infants, and at best, a fetal ultrasonographic dating is accurate within 8%, which translates to an accuracy of about four to five days, if the patient is in the first trimester, but nearly two weeks if the patient is performed as, let's say, in the second trimester, 24 weeks. So we do have that discrepancy that is potentially there and can limit our ability to accurately date these pregnancies. In addition, most ultrasound fetal weight formulas that include the measurement of the fetal head, the abdomen, and femur will only yield a weight estimate within 15% of the accurate weight of these infants. Other factors that we have to take in account is the maternal age, the health of the mother, any nutritional impairments, any history of substance abuse in the mother. These intrauterine factors such as chorioamnionitis, severe preeclampsia, IUGR, placental abruption can play a significant role in the neonatal outcome and the level of compromise that these babies are when they are delivered.
0: If you are just tuning in, you are listening to ReachMD, and I am your host, Dr. Patrice Basanta-Henry. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Viama Wenner, and we are discussing perinatal outcomes at the threshold of viability. Dr. Wenner, are there any recommended intrapartum measures that can be taken for these periviable infants?
1: Absolutely. And two of the most critical things that should be performed for these babies are the administration of antenatal corticosteroids and magnesium sulfate for neuroprotection. The corticosteroid administration is one of the most important antenatal therapies that have been found to actually improve neonatal outcomes. Infants who receive these steroids and are born at between 22 and, again, 25 weeks gestation have reduced risk of respiratory distress, intrauterine death, intravascular hemorrhage, periventricular leukomalacia, and necrotizing enterocolitis, which, of course, are the biggest biggest complications that these infants can develop. In addition to that, the maternal treatment with magnesium sulfate has been shown to improve the neurological outcome when it is administered before an anticipated preterm birth. They found that by giving women a course of the magnesium before delivery, they have significantly reduced the risk of cerebral palsy in these infants. And so it is recommended if a patient is in the possibility of delivering in a previable period that they receive a course of steroids and magnesium sulfate neuroprotection.
0: So is there an agreed upon gestational age that must be achieved before intervention will be considered?
1: Yes. So most will agree that intervention should not be offered to infants at less than twenty two weeks gestation. The survival is very, very, very unlikely. For infants who are born between 22 and 24 weeks gestation, you want to have an individualized and family-centered discussion that will take into account all the known fetal and maternal condition risk factors that can predispose to an increased risk of morbidity or mortality. Now, for infants that are born after 24 weeks gestation, all infants are offered resuscitation.
0: Some physicians will recommend waiting until the infant is born to evaluate the viability. Can you comment on that?
1: So it's called a wait-and-see attitude, and it refers to the resuscitator being present at the time of delivery to intervene should the infant appear viable at birth. They've actually found that this can delay the initiation of resuscitation and is very prone to error, and so it's not encouraged. What is recommended is that the decisions regarding resuscitation be well communicated and agreed upon between the obstetrician, the neonatologist, and the parents Before delivery, and it not be based on the condition of the infant appearance at birth. Patients should be aware, though, that when the newborn infant is born, the baby will be immediately assessed and can be more or less mature than anticipated. And this assessment can, of course, alter the decision to resuscitate the pregnancy, but you should go into the delivery with a plan in place.
0: If a paraviable delivery is anticipated, what's your approach to patient counseling? I assume this is a rather difficult conversation to have.
1: And it is. So the parents have to be involved in decision-making. It is very integral. This is their baby. And what we as the providers should do is we should provide them with all the available options, all the available information that is available, and then support them through their decision. The counseling should include the expected outcomes for the infant, and we should try to avoid inundating the family with statistical information because there's evidence that actually has been found to show that this is often misunderstood by the families. What they prefer to hear is a range of outcomes versus a specific number. They should understand that the decisions about the neonatal management that are made before delivery, again, can be altered based on the condition of the baby at birth the post-gestational age assessment, and then how the baby will respond to the resuscitation and stimulation measures. Many parents do not find that the quantitative decisions of the death or morbidity is central to the decision-making. Instead, they found that the religious, the spirituality, and the hope is more important factors for these patients. There are also some cultural differences in terms of the preferences for resuscitation of an extremely preterm newborn infant, and we should always remain sensitive to the religious, the social, the cultural, and the ethnic diversities of the parents. Another factor that actually has been played a very strong role is the institution-specific outcome. So you can provide to these patients what your institution-specific statistics are, how the neonatal resuscitation has occurred at your facility, and what your outcomes have been, and that can help patients as well. Anytime this discussion is taking place with a severely pre- mature infant, it should always be done in a facility that has a tertiary care neonatal service that is available.
0: Does the mode of the delivery affect neonatal outcome? So we're limited because all the
1: information that is available for us is based on retrospective non-randomized studies. And of course, it is difficult to do a well-controlled randomized study in this circumstance. But they have consistently failed to document a benefit of a cesarean delivery for the extremely preterm fetus. It does not protect against neonatal death, intraventricular hemorrhage, seizures, respiratory distress, or subdural hemorrhage. However, for breech presentation, there is a threefold increased risk of mortality when a vaginal delivery is attempted, so cesarean delivery is recommended in those regards.
0: We're nearing the end of our time together. Do you have any additional information you would like to share with our listening audience?
1: Yes, ma'am. The decision to resuscitate a severely premature infant is a very difficult decision for a family to make. And as providers, our goal is to provide the family with as much information that they need and then support them through this difficult period. You want to provide religious, psychosocial, palliative care support of these families if it comes down to that. And the perinatal loss support groups Intermittent contact by phone call, and then conferences with the parents involving them in the decision-making, keeping them abreast of their neonate status, helps the family deal with this difficult decision.
0: Dr. Wenner, thank you for joining us today. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you very much. And to download this podcast and others in this series, please visit ReachMD.com. We welcome you to share, like, and comment on the podcast. I am your host, Dr. Patrice Basanta-Henry, You've been listening to Reach Empty. Be part of the knowledge. Thank you for listening.